0: Outside the Lines podcast. I'm Ann Ryan, your host, homeschool mom of four and passionate about education and helping our children learn best. Welcome everyone to a new week. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen. And I hope that today's episode will give you a few ideas that might help in your homeschool. So today I want to talk a little bit about tips for learning challenges. Now, I am no expert, but I am a homeschool mom of four who are all very different learners. I've had to figure things out for many different learning challenges over the last 16 years or so that I've been home educating. And while these have worked for me, obviously each child is different. So they may work or they may not work for you and your child. But hopefully it might give you some tips and some insight into things that you might try and that might work for you. So obviously my disclaimer is that while I definitely think children learn at their own pace and research certainly backs that up, that kids are developmentally ready at different times for different skills, I also definitely, definitely believe that some kids have learning disabilities that need targeted and or professional help. So that may be from a professional or that may be a parent with professional advice or training or whatever is needed. So I certainly don't want this podcast to make anyone think that they can handle all learning challenges or all learning ability disabilities that their child may have because that's certainly not not what this is about. But it is about When you're looking at your child and you're seeing some different struggles, different issues that maybe you think you need some help with, maybe some of these tips might help you and your child either tackle that problem or address that problem or look at it in a different way and maybe improve it. So let's talk a little bit about reading since that is such a huge issue. Now these tips are for all ages. These from elementary even up through high school in many cases. So this is definitely for all ages. I'm focusing a little bit heavily on middle school just because that's where my 11 year old is and I have dealt with a lot of these struggles with her as well as my other kids but mostly with her. So that's kind of the Uh, background and the perspective that I am coming from, but these are also things that I've learned from other homeschool parents that have had similar struggles or had similar issues with their children, and even teachers that have used some of these things in the classroom as well. So I'm not going to discuss the specific challenges like, uh, you know, obviously dyslexia is something that I've talked about before, but I know there's all kinds of Um, vision issues and dyslexia and processing issues and auditory processing, there's so many different disabilities and challenges. I'm not going to discuss those specifically, but the tips I want to talk about are kind of more general that may work for a variety of things. So with reading, I just can't talk about reading without talking about reading aloud. Because reading aloud it's just kind of a given no matter what for, for all kids, all ages, even up to high school, even up to adulthood for that matter. I still, I, rem- I haven't done it recently, but I remember for a long time at night I would read aloud to my husband when he was doing some work, but for whatever reason he still liked me to read and I would read some of these nonfiction things that we might be interested in and I would still read to him at night before bed. So it's, it's for all ages. But for kids, this really creates a culture in your home of language and reading that I think is so important. And it's also great because it gives one on one time for kids and their parents. I mean, you might have one on one with just one child, you might have a variety of children sitting with you listening to reading, but I just think reading aloud is so important. And so much can be done with reading aloud as far as learning because you can obviously be reading aloud but you can have them like read a sentence like maybe you talk about you're going to read one sentence on each page and this is doable this is like not super scary like they can think in their head oh I can read one sentence and then maybe down the line they read two sentences or maybe down the line they're reading a whole page and they haven't really even realized it reading aloud can lead to those kinds of great experiences you can also explain vocabulary words that they may not know but you can explain them in context when you're reading and you come across a word and they say i don't know what that means or a lot of times i'll ask my daughter do you know what that word means and she'll say no and so then i'll explain to her in context with what we're reading and then she'll be like oh i didn't know that so that's a huge benefit also and you can also point out basic things like grammar and punctuation now, obviously, none of this should be done like constantly because that can just ruin the whole experience. But just over time, as you're reading aloud and pointing things out, like, hey, why do you think that they used an exclamation point there? And this is how you use quotes for when you're doing um, having a conversation in a story. You know, all those things can be brought up in context and in a gentle, kind of engaging way. So, Again, reading aloud can help with so many things, but also it just, I think, is so crucial for kind of to just mm, validate that reading is important in your house. Number two is audiobooks. Now, I know people have talked about using audiobooks for kids that are struggling learners, but I really... think it's underutilized and one reason why I've heard from people is that they think it's expensive like audiobooks can be really expensive and that is true and I'm not gonna discount that but so often libraries have their e-library that has audiobooks that you can download for free now it depends obviously the size of your library I mean I have access to the LA library which is incredible and I'm so lucky to have access to that And I know from where I used to live in the Midwest that had a really small library, there wasn't as much accessible for audiobooks. So I know that is an issue, but definitely check with your library, sign up with your library card, check out their e-library, see what you can be checking out for audiobooks because it's super valuable. And also there's lots of apps. I know there's an um, Epic app. I'll put a link in the show notes. I know you can get this for free I'm I'm pausing because they have different levels. I know if you're a teacher with an EDU email, you can get a free account no matter what. I know a lot of homeschool parents don't have an EDU email. But I think they have a free option that's like a limited option, like so many hours a day. So that's something to check into. But that's a great app because they have so many books for all ages, elementary. I'm not sure about high school, but for sure middle school. And they have options. Like you can some of them are just audiobooks, but some of them you can actually follow along on the page as it's reading, which is really great too. So I guess this is just a reminder that audiobooks are a great tool for homeschoolers and for struggling readers. And I forgot to mention, YouTube is a great source for audiobooks as well. Now I will be perfectly honest. I think sometimes on YouTube, some of the audiobooks, some of the that are being read are being done um, illegally that the author is not given permission and it's probably not done um correctly as far as giving the author the credit that they are supposed to be getting so i don't know all the legalities of that but i do know that we have found a lot of audiobooks on youtube that is being read aloud that we've utilized and it wasn't until later that when i was talking to some actual authors that were telling me about this issue so anyway that's just a little a side note but YouTube is also also a great place for audiobooks and there's also free sources out there for audiobooks as well now obviously if your kids really love audiobooks and you don't mind purchasing them audible is a great source for that they often have deals that you can get a discount when you sign up for their membership and things like that but Audiobooks are really important for kids that really struggle with reading and want to have access to good books, but just don't have that access because they aren't able to read it independently. So audiobooks can make a huge difference and they can also make a big difference for kids that are older, but are struggling with keeping up. So for example, my ninth grader sometimes struggles to keep up with the reading assignments with the novel they're reading in in his literature class. So, I will encourage him to use an audiobook for that. Clearly, I want him to be able to read, but he also has a pretty big workload. So, I don't want him to get behind because he's not able to keep up with the actual reading of the chapters each week. So, like I said, I will encourage him to use an audiobook. And I've told his teachers that as well. And that's never been an issue before. Another thing, which is more of a technical issue for kids that are struggling with reading are actually being able to track the words on the page. Now, I'm not a professional, I don't know all the details of this, but I do know that I had a child that had some issues with this when she was maybe around seven or eight. And she kind of, and, she, and I don't know if this had to do with her being a lefty, but she was having some issue with tracking across the page. And so we got li- a line guide. So this was basically a, just a guide that you put on the paper and you can use something as simple as a, um, an, a ruler or some, some other you know flat surface. But they have line guides that basically you just put them under the, you, there's a space um, in like a plastic piece. You put it on the page and it only shows the line that you're reading. So that you're not getting distracted, you're not losing your place on where you're reading in on the page. And so you're just reading the line and then you're just moving it down and reading the next line. This actually helped her for a short bit, she didn't need it after a while, but for a little while she did use that and that was helpful for her. That's just something to be aware of. It's I think they're called line guides, I'm not exactly sure what the technical term is. Again, just one of those things that might make a big difference for your child. It's one of those kind of simple things that it's kind of like an, an aha moment, like, what? wow, really? That made all the difference? <laughs> so that's just another little tip to be aware of. Next I want to go to graphic novels. I am a huge fan of graphic novels. I think like they're the best thing for many struggling readers in my opinion. For so long they have kind of been discounted as maybe poor quality or like just simple comics, but in the last five to ten years they have exploded and they are so popular now. Like new graphic novels are coming out like literally like every month and I think that's a wonderful thing because graphic novels cover such a broad range of topics. There is graphic novels obviously for like little kids like early elementary school there are graphic novels for upper elementary school, middle school, and obviously high school, and even adults for that matter. But, and even classics, by the way, there are classics that have been turned into graphic novels to make them more approachable and understandable. You know, things like Shakespeare, Oscar Wilde, like there is so many great classics that have been turned into graphic novels that is just phenomenal. And obviously for struggling readers, They're just, graphic novels are so approachable because kids get frustrated with a lot of words on a page of a chapter book, they can easily digest these smaller text sections of a graphic novel. They are not as intimidating for them and especially I find that, and this isn't certainly for everyone, but a lot of kids that I have found that struggle with reading are very um, visual And so a graphic novel can just be incredible for them because it's such a visual way to learn and take in information. Don't discount graphic novels. Now I will admit there's some really kind of crappy graphic novels out there just like there's crappy chapter books. Certainly be aware of that like you can screen some of the graphic novels to see if they're quality or not. Some of them have poor language just like they have poor language in chapter books. But there are some really good ones out there. Like it is I'm just so happy with graphic novels. And my struggling reader, who is eleven, she loves graphic novels. She gets super intimidated by chapter books, but she will sit and read graphic novels for hours. And she will she has a couple of graphic novels that she has read over and over, like three, four, five times. She's working on the amulet series which is a series of eight books. She's working on that for at least the second time, I think maybe even the third time. But she really, really enjoys graphic novels, and I'm thrilled with that. So again, graphic novels, don't discount graphic novels. They are so good. And they are, again, not only fiction, there are wonderful nonfiction graphic novels out there too. For science, there's science comics, which is a line of graphic novels for all kinds of science topics that are really good. There are history graphic novels. For every topic, you can find a graphic novel. So they are a great way to learn. I could go on and on about graphic novels, so I will go on to the next thing. So this is maybe not so much for older kids, but for younger kids, I know, well, I I take that back. Reading aloud is the thing I want to talk about. And yes, reading aloud can be stressful for older kids as well as younger kids but the tip I want to share is probably maybe for mostly for younger kids and that is encouraging them to read aloud to a pet or even a stuffed animal if they want but reading aloud is really an important skill and it's important practice but it can be really intimidating and they might not want to read aloud to you as a parent so encouraging them to read allowed to a pet or like I said even a stuffed animal can be really good and you can tell them that you're not going to listen they can go in their room and they can do it but it it can build some confidence and it can help them read better because they're hearing themselves and they can correct some of the mistakes they might have been making when they're reading to themselves but when they're reading it out loud it's more obvious and they can correct it so again I don't think that this will work necessarily for much older kids because they might look at you like you're crazy but it's certainly something to think about. I know for middle school, they still have programs that will have kids like reading to pets and things like that, which I think is great. Not so much probably for high school, but one thing you could maybe have though is for a high schooler to read a picture book to a younger kid. Now granted, this isn't going to be very challenging reading, but it could still be very good practice just for reading aloud in general. The last thing I want to say about reading tips is not to turn reading into an assignment all the time. Like, don't turn it into a book report for every book that they read. I'll often ask my daughter to tell me about a story in just a conversational way when she's done with the story because I do want to know what she's retained or what she got out of it. But again, it's more of just a conversational kind of thing. And she can often share with me the characters or their plot or what happened in the story. Sometimes she goes into great deal detail and other times not, you know, not so much if it wasn't as interesting to her. But she can, I can at least judge whether or not she comprehended the information. And that's what I'm kind of trying to get at. If I asked her to like write down all these things, like if I told her to write a book report, oh, write what the plot was, write what the characters were for the most part, I would get a blank face. Like she would struggle with that. And I'm very aware of that. So I'm not going to ask her to do that. But I will definitely have a conversation with her about it and engage with her. And if there is an issue, like, for example, I did have her read a um, Cam Jansen book, which is a early chapter book, mystery kind of series. And I asked, she had read that and I asked her to tell me about what the girl's skill was because I knew, I knew she had a a photographic memory because I had read this with one of my other kids. She did not comprehend that or she didn't remember that, that type of information, which was kind of a red flag for me. Like, why wouldn't she have figured that out? So we went back and we actually read the story out loud together and she was, she for whatever reason did not understand that concept so that was good that we went back we read that I explained what that meant to her and then she was kind of like oh well that makes sense now like that's why that (laughs) that you know that went that way so that's just kind of a little tip for you so let's jump on to writing. Now, I know writing is just a whole big issue for a lot of people, and I can't even begin to address dysgraphia or any of those other writing issues, but I just wanna just hit on three things. One is sometimes when printing is a struggle for kids, cursive or italics or that kind of writing that keeps the pencil on the paper and connects the letters can sometimes help a child write better because they're not having to transition with picking up their pencil for each letter, like in printing. There's a lot of like articles and stuff on this that I'll let you jump down that rabbit hole if you want. But it's just something to think about. Like sometimes cursive and italics can help your child with writing, sometimes depending on what their issues are. But it's something to look into if they're struggling with printing, because I've seen kids that have struggled with printing but then when they went to something like italics or kind of a combination of of cursive italics because a lot of times, you know, people kind of create their own writing as they go, they wrote much better, like so much more legibly because it was more of a flowing kind of thing and that they could process that easier. I'm just throwing that out. Number 2 is obviously typing. If your child struggles a lot with writing and they're older, just just start typing, just have them learn to type. There's so many free programs out there that learning typing is pretty logical. It's just, it's just jump into it. My 11 year old struggles so much with writing but she can type really well. So definitely don't discount typing. Don't look at it as cheating or don't look at it as, oh, well you have to learn to write. Cause while I agree with that, like they have to be able to write basically To me, it's more important that they can get their point across. So if that's with typing, then do typing. And kind of connected with typing is texting. Again, I know this is kind of a parenting issue with how much people let their kids be on devices. But my kid has definitely learned to write better with texting. She has, um, we have messenger kids, which, you know, only a parent can approve who they send messages to. And she has like four friends that she sends messages to and they, you know, kind of go in phases where they use it a lot or where they don't use it a lot. But she has learned so much better writing just because of texting. So I just throw that out there is sometimes that, while sometimes people think of it as negatively, it can definitely be a help. And even on games like, and honestly, I can't even tell you all the different video games, but I know there's video games that they have to type little messages like texting, and she has like one game that she plays with some friends that she has to do that with. Again, definitely has improved her spelling and her writing, mainly because, you know, you're kind of using some of the same words over and over again, and so they stick with you better. Okay, let's go on to math. Math. The biggest thing here to me that I want to talk about is multiplication facts. Yes, ideally, we want our kids to know their multiplication facts. But the reality is not all kids are going to retain these. And I've heard parents spending literally years working on multiplication facts and drilling and killing with multiplication facts. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, stop already. Like there comes a point where you really have to just acknowledge that it's not going to work for your child and just let it go like you can address it maybe again in a year and see if they're ready but just give them the darn multiplication table or the whatever the resource that you're going to use that they can sit down and use with their math and just stop already like oh my gosh so many tears about this now clearly i think people should attempt it like you should totally try to teach your child multiplication facts and definitely use, you know, games or apps or whatever works to try to teach those. But there's going to come a point where you're going to realize that, wow, my kid is not retaining this and stop forcing it. Like, just let them use a table and to move on with their math. And maybe, like I said, a year down the line, you try again and maybe they're developmentally ready and something will click in their brain. And if that they do, great. And if they don't, continue on with using the, the table. Don't look at it as cheating. Just look at it as a resource that they're using to do their math. My gosh, I have talked to so many adults that are like, oh my gosh, I still don't know my multiplication facts. And it's like something of shame. And it's like, oh my gosh, just everybody's wired differently. You don't really need to know them to live a good life. Like that's what calculators are for. So I just had to throw that out there because I was struggling with that a little bit last year and I was on a um, dyslexia homeschool Facebook page. And somebody was like, oh my gosh, I've been through this too. And you just let it go. And it was kind of this light bulb moment for me, like, duh, like, why was I spending so much energy on this? And it was going nowhere. So thanks to that parent who shared that. So that is just a little, I hope, like a sanity saver for somebody out there that's not going to just try to just push, push, push through this forever. Like there comes a time where you just let it go let them use a table or whatever resource you're going to use and just move on next is games for math especially for fractions oh my gosh pizza fractions i swear to god is like the best math thing ever i swear all my kids learn fractions on pizza fractions games they are just such a lifesaver it's so visual they can see it they can understand it it just makes sense to them when they can see it in game form like pizza fractions or whatever fractions game you might use i just really want to encourage people to use games for math i think they are so helpful and there are so many out there and there's apps too when i say games i don't just mean tabletop games like also there's card games there's apps there's video games there's lots of games for math And I really want to encourage you to use those because kids seem to learn, some kids, learn so much better with games when they're engaged and they can think of math in a different way. And that's probably a whole other episode as well about games for math. But for now, I just want to throw that out there. So this episode has definitely gotten longer than normal, but I want to throw my last two tips. One is movement. We often think kids have to be sitting down, sitting still to learn, but some kids are the opposite. Like they really need to be moving or bouncing or fiddling with things to process information. And so often we as parents will get frustrated and we'll be like, sit still, sit in your chair. Like, no, you can't You know, sit upside down to read your book. I've, I've done that myself. And so we think like movement is a bad thing, but really when kids are are different kinds of learners, which all kids are, but some kids are more different kinds of learners than others. And we have to kind of go with it. We have to really kind of analyze how they learn, when they learn, and movement might be part of how they learn. I know my daughter, when she was younger, she would always lay upside down on the couch to read. And it drove me crazy. And I'd be like, you have to sit up to read. And I would push this all the time. You have to sit up to read. And she would sit up and then she would struggle. She'd be like, I don't, I can't understand this. Or she would just kind of not really get very far and fiddle around and she wouldn't really read. But if I would let her stay upside down, she'd read a whole chapter easily. So that was kind of a learning lesson for me. I don't know why that worked for her, but it did. So my point is don't try to put your kids in a box. Don't try to put them in a box of this is how kids learn. So this is what you need to do. Because that's Just so wrong for so many kids. So, if they need to move, if they need to bounce, if you need one of those bouncy ball chairs for them to sit and do their lessons, if you need to have them walk around as they're reading, like I've seen kids walk around um, reading a book. Like, if your child needs to do that, let them do that. Don't fight it. It's just so not worth it. Kids need to process information how they process information. And lastly is noise. Some kids need quiet, right? They just need quiet. They can't have background noise. They can't have stuff going on. And noise-canceling headphones are your friend. And I say that from experience. So that's one thing. The other is some kids do need background noise. Like they, they do want stuff kind of going on around them. But be conscious of what that noise is. Like I'm totally fine with kind of light music or even like wind chimes or fans with that for that kind of white noise. But like having a TV on in the background or really loud kids playing, not so much. At least not so much in my experiences with my kids. That's a different kind of noise that can be a distraction. So I don't have the TV on. I try to close doors if there's loud kids playing or, you know, try to separate that kind of thing out. But as far as if kids want noise, have them Let them have music. Let them have, you know, some other sounds that work for them. But just be conscious that it doesn't always have to be quiet because sometimes it can be too quiet for kids. Okay, I'm wrapping this up for today. That was a lot of information. Please reach out to me on my Facebook page or Instagram if you'd like to connect or if you have any comments about what we talked about today. I'm certainly no expert, but... Just wanted to share some information that has worked for us and for other children that I know. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so you'll know when the next episode is released. And please connect with me on social media. I love to engage with people on Instagram and Facebook. So until next time, don't be afraid to go outside the lines.